Jews all over the world just celebrated Yom Kippur, which means the Day of Atonement. What is that feast all about, and does it have prophetic implications for the future? We need to find out, and we're going to on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar, and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Jews all over the world just celebrated Yom Kippur, and those words mean Day of Atonement. It's considered the holiest day of the entire year. Why is it so important to Jewish people? How does it relate to those who are New Covenant believers in the Lord Jesus as Messiah? And how is Yom Kippur prophetic of what is going to happen in the future? These are really important and intriguing questions, and we're going to dig into the meat of the matter. Now, when was Yom Kippur? This year, um, on our calendar, the year 2023, it began September 24th, Sunday night, because the Jewish day starts with nightfall, and it ends with the completion of the following day, and it was finished on Sunday, at sundown on September 25th, Monday of this week. It is a national call to repentance. It's a time of afflicting the soul according to the scripture. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of remorse for wrongdoing. It's a time when purposefully Jewish people tried to make amends for any errors or harm or injury to others that happened in the previous year. There's a lot that is tied in with this feast, and I'm going to dig into it more later, but I want you to first get this fundamental information that's very important. There are seven primary feasts of the Lord, and they are referred to in the Bible as the feasts of the Lord, not the feast of Israel. Quite often, uh, we Bible students refer to them as the Feast of Israel, but scripturally, it's a feast that God is holding, that God is conducting, and he invites us to participate with him in the feast, and they all have great symbolic value. Again, there are seven major feasts of the Lord in the scripture, in the Bible, and uh, just to give you a quick overview, the first is the Feast of Passover, and then second, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, third, the Feast of first fruits. fourth, the Feast of Pentecost, and all of those have been fulfilled in their symbolism, which we will get to in a moment. And then the next three feasts are the Feast of Trumpets, number five, the Feast of the Day of Atonement, number six, and the Feast of Tabernacles, number seven. All of these feasts have a triune meaning. They are historically a celebration of something God has done in the past. 
They are very practical in application in the present. They have a practical application to a Jewish person and to a believer in Jesus as the Messiah presently, but they are all prophetic of the future as well. They all have a triune purpose. Let me give you just a for instance. Passover uh, was a celebration of the night when blood was applied to the upper doorpost and the two side posts of every Israeli home in Egypt because God said when he saw the blood, he would pass over them and the firstborn son of every Israeli household was spared. Passover, however, was also prophetic of the crucifixion. And of course, that came to pass. On Passover, Jesus was crucified, the real Passover lamb that causes us to be protected from the scourge of death in this world. But it was also prophetic in a higher sense of a personal Passover that happens to each one of us when the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. And so it's past, present, and future in its application. Now, it's already been fulfilled futuristically, uh, just as the first four feasts in entirety, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost have all been fulfilled. Pentecost was fulfilled when the Holy Spirit came in the upper room and the birth of the church took place. But the fall feasts, the last three feasts, are all yet to be fulfilled. And that makes it very interesting. But before we go into the future, we've got to lay a foundation from the past. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. It's the holiest day of the year. Why? Because it was the day when Israel was rendered more holy than any other time before the Lord. It was the day when sacrifices took place to relieve or lift the national sin debt of Israel. And it would always take place at the holiest place with the holiest person on the holiest day. The holiest place was the tabernacle of Moses later on, the temple of Solomon. The holiest person was the high priest who was sanctified for this purpose. And the holiest day was this 10th day of the seventh month. And I'm talking about the seventh month on the Jewish calendar, which is Tishrei. And that's spelled T-I-S-H-R-E-I. And on that day, the 10th day of the seventh month, are, are the numbers important? Yes, they are. Because seven is the number of perfection in the Bible, and 10 is the number of divine order. And so on the, seventh, on the 10th day of the seventh month, the people of Israel were brought into divine order. And it was a time, uh, a perfect time of cleansing them in order to restore their relationship with God perfectly. So numbers are important. The 10 days prior to the Day of Atonement are referred to by Jewish people as the days of awe, because for 10 days, Jewish people are supposed to uh, consciously have a greater awe toward God, a worshipful awe toward God in the sense that they consecrate themselves and 
and search into their hearts and their lives and their minds to find any area where they're not yielded, not surrendered. Of course, this is only true for practicing Jews who really uh, revere these commandments or reverence these commandments in Scripture. And it's a time of preparation. Those 10 days prepare a person for the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is itself a preparation for the final feast, the seventh feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, referred to as Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T. The word Sukkot means tabernacles. And that's another message within itself. But that's a seven-day feast of great rejoicing. But the Day of Atonement is quite the opposite. It's a day of grief and remorse over sins and failures of the past. What about the original commandments concerning this feast? Let's go into some biblical references. For instance, in Leviticus 23, which talks a lot about many of the feasts of the Lord, uh, in verse 26 through verse 30, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, a time of gathering together. You shall afflict your souls. What does it mean to afflict your soul? It means to allow your conscience to have full sway over your mind, your will, and your emotions, because those are the three functions of the soul. And sometimes the mind runs rampant. It gets clouded with all kinds of evil imaginations. Sometimes the emotions run rampant. They're unpredictable. They're contaminated with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. But when you afflict your soul, you surrender your will to God that your mind might be cleansed, that your emotions might be cleansed. And you shall do no work on the same day. It was one of seven Sabbath days besides the seventh day of the week. And the uh, seventh day of the week is Saturday, and that was the Sabbath. God sanctified the Sabbath day. But then there are seven other days that are Shabbats or Sabbath days, days of rest commanded by God. And that has symbolic value. It is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. So in other words, God is saying you got to be real and right in your relationship with God. You just can't put on religious airs. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at even, from even to evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So everything shuts down in Israel on Yom Kippur, and Jews all over the world do no servile work on that day. It's a time of fasting, no nothing to eat, nothing to drink that day. It's a time of consecration and dedication because 
Traditionally among Jews is a time when the decision is made by the creator whether or not your name is inscribed in the book of life for the continuing year. In fact, many Jews will be heard saying to one another, may your name be inscribed in the book of life, which I understand the purpose, the sincere desire behind that, but it's not really biblical. I did a whole study on the book of life, and there's an article on the truelight.net about it, and I won't go into the details, but it's very evident by certain scriptures that every person's name is in the book of life from the foundation of the world, and your goal is not to get your name written in the book. Your goal is to make sure your name is not removed or blotted out of the book of life, which if it happens if a person commits himself or herself to a wicked um, lifestyle. So anyway, it's, it's a time of deep reflection because Jews want to be found worthy. They want to be found worthy of acceptance in the presence of God, worthy of receiving the blessings of God, worthy of even being alive in this world. And the Day of Atonement is the hinge it is the pivot on which that worthiness turns. Very important. All right. As I mentioned, the first four feasts have already been fulfilled. Passover was fulfilled at the crucifixion. Unleavened bread was fulfilled with the sinless Messiah delivering his people from sin in this world. First fruits was fulfilled with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and Pentecost was fulfilled when the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. But what about these fall feasts? How are they going to be fulfilled? Well, the Feast of Trumpets happens the first day of the seventh month. Yom Teruah is the a celebration of the blowing of trumpets or the blowing of shofars. And the ancient uh, fulfillment of that or the historical fulfillment of that was the shofar that sounded at Mount Sinai right before God spoke after the children of Israel left Egypt. That's what it historically points back to. And it also points back to the collapse of the walls of Jericho when the shofars were sounded the seventh time around on the seventh day. So at the Feast of Trumpets, when there's a hundred shofar blasts in the synagogue, that's a reminder of something God has done. It has a practical application in the present because it's a time of celebration of a new year, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. And uh, in a sense, is spiritually the head of a new year. But it's also prophetic of the future, because when the Messiah returns, he'll descend from heaven with a shout and with the sound of a shofar, the sound of a trumpet. And of course, there's trumpet judgments in the last days leading up to it. And the last trumpet is the trump that sounds, or the last shofar blast, is the one that sounds at the Lord's return. And the resurrection of the dead takes place. So, if that happens before the Day of Atonement, if the resurrection of the dead takes place and the coming of the Lord takes place, and the entrance of the kingdom of God into this world takes place, and symbolically 
the first day of the seventh month refers to that prophetically, then what about the tenth day of the seventh month? Well, let's go into the fact that there were three things that Aaron the high priest and all subsequent high priests cleansed or made atonement for on the tenth day of the seventh month. Aaron and his family were made atonement for by a bullet being offered. The uh, people of Israel, the national sin debt of Israel was lifted. All the people of Israel were consecrated to God and cleansed from sin. On that day, that was the time when all sin was canceled and cast away from them, forgiven. But the sanctuary was also cleansed. Atonement was made for the sanctuary area. So not only were people cleansed, a place was cleansed. Not only were the priests cleansed and the Israelites cleansed, but that holy place called the sanctuary was cleansed. Well, I believe after Jesus comes back again, his sanctuary is not going to be one isolated little place in Jerusalem where the temple is erected on Temple Mount, another temple as we enter into the Messianic era. But I believe that his sanctuary will be global. God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. He won't be reserved to one little place. He'll be everywhere. His presence will sanctify the entire world. And I believe the Day of Atonement is representative symbolically of that time when this world is cleansed of war. In fact, you ought to read Psalm Psalm 46, for instance, about how God is going to remove this this, uh, conflict of war from the planet and how there'll be no sin, no satanic influence, no evil, no rebellion against God, but the whole world will be made holy. That's what it represents. Now, what happened historically, though, on the Day of Atonement? Aaron, the high priest, and let's go all the way back to him, the brother of Moses, His name means enlightened one. He was symbolic of the Messiah to come, who was the enlightened one, the one who said, I am the light of the world. Aaron, the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies on that day. That's why it was the holiest day of the year, because it was the only day in the entire year when the high priest visited the most holy sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was and the glory of God rested on that ark. Aaron would take with him a censer and a handful of incense that he would throw into the fire that was in the censer, and this cloud of smoke would burst before the mercy seat. And what does incense represent? David said, I will lift up my hands, he said, uh, like the evening sacrifice, let my prayer be like incense and the lifting up of my hands like the evening sacrifice. And so he connected passionate prayer with the burning of incense. And that's very very much indicated throughout the Old Testament. So when the high priest went in there and threw incense into the censer, 
and the holy fire that came from the altar that fell from heaven originally consumed the incense and smoke rose up before the representative throne of God on earth. That's the mercy seat. That was indicating symbolically the intercession of the great high priest to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, before the Father in behalf of those who would yield to his lordship because he's the high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. And were it not for his intercession, we could never be clean before God. We're way too contaminated by sin. Also, the high priest would take the blood of a goat, and a goat being a rebellious animal represents the rebellious side of our nature. And there were two goats, actually, that were very important on Yom Kippur the Day of Atonement. The first goat was sacrificed, and the blood from that goat was sprinkled seven times before the mercy seat. And remember, the mercy seat, the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, was God's representative throne on earth. Thankfully, it was not called the judgment seat, but the mercy seat. And because of the blood of that goat, then mercy could be expected from God and the children of Israel could be cleansed. Well, that was just one of the goats. And of course, that represented the crucified Messiah and his blood throughout this age, cleansing all of those who have ever called on the name of Yeshua. Okay, but there was another goat and that was the living goat. And after this ritual in the Holy of Holies took place, the high priest would come out, and incidentally, the high priest had to remove his garments for glory and beauty and wear just a simple white garment on the Day of Atonement, the only day out of the year when it was required of him, because Jesus divested himself of the glory of who he was to become sin for us, and yet he was without sin, like the high priest who wore a beautiful white linen garment on the Day of Atonement. And it represented Jesus's utter righteousness that is imparted to us as a gift. The Messiah's righteousness is granted to us as a gift when we surrender to his lordship. But he would then come out of the Holy of Holies, lay his hand on the second goat, which was called the scapegoat. Now that's what it's called or referred to in English in your Bibles. But the original Hebrew word is Azazel or Azazel, A-Z-A-Z-E-L. And there's a lot of controversy over what the real meaning of Azazel is. But the essence of the meaning of the word is a complete removal, a complete removal. And Aaron would lay his hands on Azazel, the scapegoat. And remember, the scapegoat means somebody that takes the rap for you. And really, that's what the Messiah did. We should not have died on a cross. He should not have died on a cross. We should have died for our sins. But instead, he took the rap. He was the scapegoat. And just like the high priest transferred the sin of Israel to the scapegoat by the laying on of hands, all the sin of the world, all those who ever had lived, all who ever would live, was transferred to the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. And then that scapegoat was taken by a fit man into the wilderness 
and this is very important, into a land not inhabited. There could be no inhabitants in that area. And there's uh, different opinions on what would happen to the scapegoat. Some say it was cast from a high precipice and cast to its death below. Uh, we're not really sure of exactly what happened, but I find that to be plausible, that the scapegoat was tossed or thrown to its death. But it's important to see that it was in a land not inhabited, and it had to be carried far away from the people of Israel. And didn't God say as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. To me, that speaks of an age, an era when the Messiah comes, when sin will be carried far away, not only from our individual hearts, but from the entire world. There will be nothing but love and joy and peace and the presence of God filling this world because the kingdom of God will fully come. And just like Aaron came out of the Holy of Holies to do this, the holiness of God will surround the planet and uh, prepare us for the day of celebration, which is called the marriage supper of the Lamb, which I believe will take place after Jesus comes back to this earth and after we return to this earth with him, which all happens in one day. At the very end of this age, we rise to meet him. We welcome him into the world. He sets up his kingdom. He cleanses the world. And then tabernacles. God tabernacles among us. And angels walk among men. And it will be an absolutely glorious era that we're being prepared for. Now, in Leviticus 16, 34, and I've got to wrap this up. God said concerning this Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. Many Christians feel like it's important for believers in the New Covenant to celebrate the feasts of the Old Covenant and to, of course, discover their symbolic meaning and their prophetic meaning. Is that necessary? Well, let me read Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But Christ came as the high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats, and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Note the word eternal. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. I believe there is value in celebrating the feasts as new covenant believers because most believers have no idea this is part of their historical heritage. I believe it is important. I have spoken in Israel six times for the Feast of Tabernacles, 
at the function put on by the Christian embassy. And I believe there's beautiful value. But when you make it mandatory, that's when it becomes legalistic. There have been some years I celebrated tabernacles. There have been some years I did not celebrate tabernacles. But I do believe that every day of my life is a celebration of God tabernacling in me. There have been some years I celebrated Passover and some years when I didn't. But every day that I live is a perpetual celebration of the blood of Jesus flowing through me, protecting me from the ravages of death. And I could go on with every one of the feasts. Every, uh, every year, uh, on a continuing basis, perpetual basis, every single day, every hour of every day, every minute of every hour, I'm celebrating Pentecost because I'm filled with the Spirit constantly. So when all of the seven feasts hit the cross, they bump up to a constant, perpetual, infinite fulfillment. So I don't believe that the shadow is more important than the substance. In fact, once you get the substance, the shadow fades in importance. It is marginalized in a sense. It's important to understand the feast, but it's far more important to experience the reality of what the feasts forecast. And so the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is very important, yeah, in its symbolic value. But it's far more important to realize I have received atonement. Jesus took the rap from me. And my sins are covered by his blood and blotted out of existence and carried far from me. And they will not follow me into eternity. They've already been brought under judgment. It's important to know that, yes, it's wonderful to celebrate the feasts. It's far more wonderful to see that they're a perpetual celebration all the time in the life of a true believer. So that's what Yom Kippur is all about, the Day of Atonement. There's a lot more that could have been said, but I think that gives you a really good, full, round view. And next week, I'm going to be teaching on the Feast of Tabernacles and the beautiful, symbolic value of that celebration and its eternal significance. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.